Chapter Twenty One of Curly Carson Listens In by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Twenty One. The boats are gone. When Curly Carson had fastened the mysterious post-shaped affair to the springs of his berth, he fought his way against wind, waves, and darkness back to the radiophone cabin. Anything come in? he asked as he shook the dampness from his clothing. Nothing I could make out, shouted Joe. Got something all jumbled up with static once, but couldn't make it out. Rising, he took the receiver from his head and handed it to Curly. Then, as the craft took a sudden plunge, he leaped for a seat. Missing it, he went sprawling upon the floor. In spite of the seriousness of their dilemma, the girl let forth a joyous peal of laughter. Joe's antics, as he attempted to rise, were too ridiculous for words. There was tonic for all of them in that laugh. They felt better because of it. Some moments after that, save for the wild beat of the storm, there was silence. Then, clapping the receivers to his ears, Curly uttered an exclamation. He was getting something. Or at least he thought he was. Yes, now he did get it. A whisper faint, indistinct, mingled with static, yet audible enough there came the four words. Hello there, Curly. Hello. At that moment the currents of electricity playing from cloud to cloud set up such a rattle and jangle of static that he heard no more. It's that girl in my old hometown, in that big hotel, he told himself. To think that her whisper would carry over all those miles in such a gale. She's sending on six hundred. Wonder why. Oh, well, he breathed when nothing further had come in. I'll unravel that mystery in good time, providing we get out of this mess and get back to that home burg of ours. But now... Suddenly he started and stared. There had come a loud bump against the cabin. Then another and another. It's the boats, he shouted. They've torn loose. Should have known they would. Should have thought of that. Here. He handed the receiver to Joe and once more dashed out into the storm. The Kittlewake carried two lifeboats. As he struggled toward where they should have been, some object swinging past him barely missed his head. Instantly he dropped to the deck at the same time gripping at the rail to save himself from being washed overboard. That, he told himself, was a block swinging from a rope. The boat on this side is gone. Worse luck for that. We... we might need them before we're through with this. Slowly he worked his way along the rail toward the stern. Now and again the waves that washed the deck lifted him up to slam him down again. Quit that he muttered hoarsely. Can't you let a fellow alone? Arrived at last on the other side, he rose to his knees and tried to peer above him to the place where the second lifeboat should be swinging. A flash of lightning aided his vision. A groan escaped his lips. Gone, he muttered. Should have thought of that. But, he told himself, there's still the raft. The raft built of boards and gas-filled tubes, was lashed to the deck forward. Thither he made his difficult way. To his great relief, he found the raft still safe. 
Since it was thrashing about, he uncoiled a rope closely lashed to the side of a cabin, and with tremendous effort succeeded in making the raft snug. There now, you'll remain with us for a spell, he muttered. Clinging there for a moment, he appeared to debate some important question. Guess I ought to do it, he told himself at last. And I'd better do it now. You never can tell what will happen next. And if worse comes to worst, it's our only chance. Fighting his way back to his cabin, he returned presently with the post-shaped affair, which he had lashed to the springs of his berth. This he now lashed to the stout slats of wood and crossbars of the metal on the raft. When he had finished, it appeared to be part of the raft. There, my sweet baby, he murmured. Sleep here, rocked on the cradle of the deep, until your papa wants you. You're a beautiful and wonderful child. Then, weary, water-soaked, chilled to the bone, stupefied by the wild beat of the storm, aching in every muscle but not downhearted, he fought his way back to the radio cabin. Nature has been kind to man. She has so made him that he is incapable of feeling all the tragedy and sorrow of a terrible situation at the time when it bursts upon him. Vincent Ardmore, as he clung to the wrecked plane with his companion gone from him forever, did not sense the full horror of his position. He realized little more than the fact that he was chilled to the bone, and that the wind and waves were beating upon him unmercifully. Then, gradually, there stole into his benumbed mind the thought that he might improve his position. The platform above him still stood clear of the waves. Could he but loosen the straps which bound him to the fuselage, could he but climb to that platform, he would at least be free for a time from the rude beating of the black waters which rolled over him incessantly. With the numbed, trembling fingers of one hand, he struggled with the stubborn, water-soaked straps, while with the other he clung to the rods of the rigging. To loosen his grip for an instant, once the straps were unfastened, meant almost certain death. After what seemed an eternity of time, the last strap gave way, and with a wild pounding of his heart, he gripped the rods and began to climb. As he tumbled upon the platform, new hope set the blood racing through his veins. There might yet be a chance, he murmured, almost joyfully. The storm is breaking. His eyes wandered to the fleeting clouds. Dawn's coming, too. I, I, why... I might send a message. The motor's gone dead, of course. But there are still storage batteries. If only the insulations are good. If water is not soaked in anywhere. With trembling fingers he tested the batteries. A bright flash of fire told him they were still alive. Then, with infinite care, he adjusted the instruments. At last he tapped a wire, and a grating rattle went forth. She's still good, he exulted. Then, slowly, distinctly, he talked into the transmitter. Talked as he might had he been surrounded by the cozy comforts of home. He gave his name, the name of his aircraft, told of his perilous position, gave his approximate location, and asked for aid. Only once his voice broke and fell to a whisper. That was when he tried to tell the sad fate of his companion. Having come to the end, 
He adjusted the receiver to his ears and sat there listening. Suddenly his face grew tense with expectation. He was getting something. In answer to his message. For a full moment he sat there, tense, motionless. Then, suddenly, without warning, a new catastrophe assailed him. A giant wave, leaping high, came crashing down upon the wreckage of the plane. There followed a snapping and crashing of braces. When the wave had passed, the platform to which he clung floated upon the sea. His radiophone equipment was water-soaked, submerged. His storage batteries had toppled over to plunge into the sea. So there he clung, a single individual on a mass of wreckage, helpless and well-nigh hopeless, in the midst of a vast ocean whose waves were even now subsiding after a terrific storm. End of chapter 21